Hey guys, I'm Eric McLean. And I'm Kelly Gramlich. It's time to talk some ACC football. Let's go. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Welcome into the Gramlich and McLean podcast. We are continuing ACC Under Review, Episode 3. We're breaking down the Clemson Tigers. We hope that you guys had a chance to catch the first two episodes in our ACC Under Review series, The Champs, the Pittsburgh Panthers with Alan Saunders from Pittsburgh Sports Now was released last week, and the runner-ups, the Atlantic Champs, the Wake Forest Demon Deeks. We talked about them with Ethan Joyce, so make sure you check those out, and we're going to be diving into each and every ACC school, talking about their 2021 football season with the experts who cover them. And of course, today, Mac, we're talking about the 10 and 3, number 14 ranked in the final AP poll, Clemson Tigers. That's right, KG. These episodes have really, they've been a lot of fun. And just diving in with these experts, these folks that are writing about your teams, reporting about your teams, doing some radio, uh, just really the day to day, you know, people that are on the ground. And we wanted to talk with them, get the scoop. Uh, but before we dive into the Clemson Tigers with our Dukes Mayo guests, let's tell our listeners about our great partner. Dukes has that twang, Mac, that little southern something that elevates food from good to downright ridiculous. Over the past 100 years, Dukes has continued to cultivate and celebrate its commitment to family recipes and bold southern flavors. In addition to the flagship mayonnaise, which is still made according to American hero Mrs. Eugenia Dukes' original recipe in Greenville, South Carolina, Dukes offers flavored mayonnaise, regionally inspired Dukes southern sauces, and honestly, my personal favorite probably, Mac, the mustards. Guys, listen, if you haven't heard enough on this uh, this podcast, KG digging the mustard. She she likes the flavored big mustard. Big mustard girl. She's big a mustard big, girl. She's a big mustard girl. But listen, that mayo, thick and creamy texture, trusted since 1917. And my favorite thing about Duke's mayo, outside of the twang, of course, is the creativity. Y'all listen to these flavors. Hint of lime, bacon tomato, habanero garlic, cucumber dill, fire roasted red pepper. Are you kidding me? All you need is bread and a jar of any one of those spreads, and you have a killer sandwich. You can add tomato if you want. You can add lettuce. You can add cheese, meat, whatever you want. But all you need is that little jar, and it takes it to another level. If you guys haven't, head over to dukesmayo.com. Embrace the new flavors. Same twang. Mac, in this episode, we are talking about the Clemson Tigers in their down year. We'll get into that. <laughs> 10 and 3, 14th in the country. We have a ton to cover regarding the Tigers and wanted to bring in our friend Grace Rayner. And we want to congratulate her, Mac, on winning the Football Writers Association of America, Ed Ashoff Rising Star Award. That trophy she won was huge. I mean, we've got a legend on the pod today, Mac. That's absolutely correct. Super excited to have Grace. And just to break down, uh, what she does with the Clemson Tigers. She covers them for the athletics. So excited to have her on. To follow more of Grace's work, check her out on Twitter, GM Rayner. That's GM Rayner on Twitter. But for now, let's get to our conversation with Grace. Grace Rayner, welcome into the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today, talking about the Clemson Tigers, who sadly enough, had such a down year. 10 wins, ranked number 14 in the final AP poll. I mean, just how crazy is it that that's a down year? I mean, the standard that has been set by the Tigers, it's unbelievable. For sure. Okay, first of all, thank you for having me. Uh, secondly, yes, I mean, I think that's just a um, 
I think that is a testament to Clemson's consistency over the years and the way that we view them now is go- is different than it ever had been in Dabo's career. And I think that that's what happens when you win. And when you don't win, people notice more uh, because they've just been they've just been so dominant over the years. No doubt. And Grace, we're going to break down how it all went down, how this down year happened. But I know for you, and weirdly enough, I would say a little bit on the radio where I cover Clemson often, um, it was a little more interesting at the beginning. Then it just got a little tiresome because fans were so mad and so frustrated. So I'm curious for you, as someone who's covered Clemson for quite a few years now, and every year you're covering playoff, playoff, playoff. Was this interesting for you? Like, was it a little more enjoyable as someone who doesn't have a rooting interest? I found it to be interesting. I mean, this was the first time, this was the first season. uh, So I've covered Clemson since 2017. So this is my fifth season. And this was the first year that I walked into the press box every Saturday and had no clue what might happen. Mm. And that was, I mean, I'm I'm sure Clemson fans (laughs) weren't, weren't thrilled about that, but just from a, if you're a, if you are a viewer with no dog in the fight, I thought it made for better football games. Clemson played closer games, um, and and closer is is usually more entertaining. So I I thought it was a different challenge uh, journalistically, which which I enjoyed from that perspective. You know, it, it was super interesting to see just kind of how the season went. I mean, you you start off two and two, and, and Clemson hasn't been that in quite some time, and then you kind of have a lull to sleep. You get a W against Boston College somehow find a, a way to get a W against Syracuse and then lose to Pitt. And, and really, I think that was the point where it's like, man, this this is ugly. This is not good. Um, if, if you would have finished the season right there or, or just looking at the season right there, is there any way that you thought, okay, Clemson's going to win six, seven in a row and end up in the top 14 to finish this season? Okay, it's funny you mentioned that because like at the midway point of the season, the Athletic had us do like midseason predictions and I gave Clemson the benefit of the doubt, and I said they would finish the regular season nine and three. And then they start losing. To, they start losing these games, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, they're gonna they're gonna have to win out if my prediction is going to be accurate." And so at that point, I thought it would be more of an eight and four, possibly seven and five situation. I really thought Wake would beat them. I, I just thought this was Wake's year, and maybe I should have maybe I should have looked at recent history more in that regard, but. Um, just the way they closed out their season is what's the stat Dabo Dabo has said it a couple times. He told his team in September, there were a certain number of teams that were two and two at that point. You guys mm-hmm. know what I'm talking about? I can't yeah. remember what that stat yes, is. Yeah. Well, well I, I can't remember what it is, but the way they, the way they finished the amount out of was, teams, was crazy. But yeah. yeah. And there were like, it was like Clemson and Utah, I think that finished the way they did. So, I mean, I thought, I always felt like. I, I, my my position on it kind of shifted because early in the season I really felt like okay they they can break out this is this is going to happen I kept waiting for this offensive breakout and then midway through the season I was like this is just this is just who they are exactly I think we all had that realization um, and that's where I think the frustration came from that I'm talking about with the the listeners to my radio show because it almost felt like the hope was gone like you were going to have to win games in the most hideous ugly <laughs> fashion. And, uh, you know, fans started to realize that. And then you got Shipley back. And, of course, the Wake Forest game, to your point, Grace, I picked Wake. I thought Wake was going to get it done. And uh, recent history won out, I believe, Eric McLean picked Clemson. And we, we saw what happened there. But well, there's a reason why. Look, when you look at Wake, ahead, you, you know, Wake was such a 
it, it was their year, Grace. I think that was super accurate to say. But just when you look at how they play, when you when you have that physically dominating defense that Clemson has, listen, if there's anything we can say about this year's Clemson team is that that was one of the best defenses I think that Clemson has had, and it just stinks that it was such poor offensive performances to kind of counteract it. But when you look at Wake, it's just that physicality up front, that's always going to be a problem until they can get bigger, stronger guys, until they can change that slow zone mesh. That That's just not going to work. I mean, you saw it against Wake Forest. You saw it against Pittsburgh. You would have probably seen it against Texas A&M, but you know, not luckily, but they didn't have to play them. Um, so that that's where I think you know that kind of comes in. So don't fault either one of you guys for thinking that about Wake Forest. Fair. We should have listened to the ACC analyst, the expert. I should have put <laughs> you up before I see, put my pick in. <laughs> it's true. It's true, Grace. You're exactly right. Okay. Well, speaking of the ugly offense, and we'll get to the defense because I think this defense may be forgotten down the line because of the season, but it shouldn't because this defense saved the day many, many of times. But Let's start with the QB position, which has been a main topic of conversation throughout the year. And Grace, in your opinion, what would you say is the thing that DJ needs to improve upon the most? And then secondly, do you believe there will be a legitimate competition in the spring between DJU and Kate Klubnik? Okay. I, I mean, and I will say this as not a, a football expert and, and not someone who has played the quarterback position. But from my view, when I look in, in terms of what DJ needs to improve on the most, I just feel like he really struggled with touch. And I remember in the offseason, Brandon Streeter had told us that DJ had the biggest arm he had ever seen. And a Joe had told us that he split a finger open catching a DJ ball. And I think in, the, in, in, the, in real time and in the moment, I think we could all process that as like, dang, this dude like has a cannon of an arm. Like this, this dude's got it. And in hindsight, I wish I'd taken that a little bit more literally because – I think his arm is so big that he's either he either missed receivers or and don't get me wrong I think his receivers dropped a lot of balls for him like I don't think his receivers did any, any favors but I do feel like there were some balls that when they were catchable they had so much heat on them that it, it made it it made it kind of tricky so I would say touch for DJ and then to your question about Klubnik I I think this becomes a competition yes at some point I mean I think that DJ probably wins it to open the season, but I, I, I don't think I'll be surprised if this is a Kelly Bryant-Trevor Lawrence situation. I, just, I think given the way DJ's season went and given what we know about Cade, I think you have to evaluate this as a competition. I don't think there's any question about that. And I think, you know, when you look at why, okay, touch certainly is a big thing. And, and you know, that's been a thing since high school. I mean, I remember looking back at his tape and he, he just rifles that thing in there. And, and it's like he, he doesn't understand – that there are situations that I don't have to throw this ball as hard as I can. But the other biggest thing with him is processing what he sees. And that is not just an overnight. That is not just a, okay, this is all going to change in the spring. I mean, that takes time. That, that takes, honestly, just coaching, sitting down, time by him, getting in the film room. And if, there, if that dedication isn't there, if that extra work isn't there, you're not going to get better. You, you don't just all of a sudden wake up one day and understand what two-man is. You don't understand that you're looking at buzz cover three and they're going to blitz the corner. I mean, it, it, that takes so much time and, and understanding. And at the corner quarterback position, the one that controls everything, that's going to be so so important. So I think if Cade demonstrates that and comes in and can identify and see that, maybe competition isn't even the word. And it's going to be really fascinating to see how this coaching staff handles it because – 
in this transfer portal world, I mean, you have to recruit your own guys on a daily basis. You have to make sure everybody's feeling the love. And so is it almost a predicament where it's like, we get out of spring ball, we're not going to name a starter. We get out of camp, we're not going to name a starter. And then you get into the season and maybe it's less likely, but I mean, we've seen guys jump ship like crazy. So I don't know. And speaking of ship, that was a funny transition. Ooh, Will Shipley. Okay, How Eric good was that? Played. That was not planned. That was not planned. I'm, I'm hilarious. Ooh. Um, <laughs> Oh we we had the yeah no, that was, that was big in the time. background. That's right. Uh, we we had a lot of fun talking with Shipley earlier this season, and you know, just a, as mature as he is, I mean, it was like we were talking to a fifth year senior, and this guy had just gone on campus. Grace, what have you seen from him just all year long? And was there ever maybe a change in attitude and just who he was? Was there? Did you see any kind of change throughout this season? I think the biggest change I saw with him was. I think at the very beginning of the season, you we were kind of getting a front row seat to watching him feel out his leadership style. This like, can I do this as a freshman? Because someone needed, someone had to do it on offense. And, you know, then Bockhorst gets hurt. And, and I think you, at least from my view, I, I kind of, you could see the wheels turning with Shipley in terms of like, he had said early in the season, like, I'm happy to do this. I'm happy to do this role. And then you see as the season goes on, it's no longer like I'm, I'm happy to be this person. He, I thought he became that person. Um, so I think that was a cool dynamic. And I think obviously heading into to 2022, Clemson really needs that again. Um, DJ is the first to admit that he's, you know, more of a kind of quiet lead by example type guy. Uh, and then I think the most important thing with Shipley is that he backed it up with the way he played. Like, I think that he immediately, he earns the respect of everyone in that locker room just because of, how he carries himself and, and the way he plays. And you look at his numbers and him. And I mean, I thought that was the whole, I thought that was the brightest spot of Clemson season was the way Spiller rotated him and Kobe Pace. Exactly. And it's interesting too, again, going back to what I hear from the listeners, which is the pulse of the people. Um, they weren't, at, the, at times they were doubting the CJ Spiller hire, which I think, you know, we all could kind of understand because it's CJ Spiller and he didn't have as much coaching experience, but I think he earned everyone's trust with how he managed that room. And it's obvious that Lynn J. Dixon was a little bit of a, a cancer in that room and they got better uh, once he transferred. And of course, Shipley, I think is going to be a star, but speaking of stars, it feels like grace. I'm, I'm wondering where the stars are at wide receiver. I look in the NFL. I see Hunter Renfro a thousand yard season. I see Mike Williams, a thousand yard season. I see T Higgins, a thousand yard season. I see other, I mean, of course, nukes hurt. He probably would have had a thousand yard season, so you see all of these superstars in the NFL. You don't necessarily see them on the roster. Is, and I know injuries have happened, is wide receiver you still alive, Grace? I think it is alive, um, but I, I think it needs a, a little help and, and some attention. It's on life support. Um, potentially, yes. Um, it's got a lot of family and friends that are very invested in it and would like to see it get better. Um but I think that's why you look at these two freshmen that are coming in, and I, I think that you, I, I think I can make a case for, for why they both could slash should play early. Um, to me, this room is kind of wide open. I mean, we saw Bo Collins come on towards the end of the year, and I think he'll have a really strong sophomore season. I think his chemistry with DJ really helped down the stretch. Dakari Collins, I think you see coming, but I, I feel pretty strongly that Clemson's offense is not nearly as good as it can be when they don't have a true slot receiver. And I just felt like that was so obvious this year. Um, so I think Antonio Williams really helps in that regard. 
I don't know where Choice Delato is. Um, I know a lot of fans were like, what, what's going on with that? Um, but yeah, I mean, I think someone has to emerge and, and has, to give, has to give Clemson to offense. I mean, DJ's got to get the ball to them. Uh, he's got to be able to put it in a place where he can come down to it. But yeah, I just, it just felt so obvious that that was something that was missing this year. And, and I think that kind of goes back to that quarterback situation. I mean, if, if I told you guys that the leading Clemson receiver would have 500 yards and three touchdowns, if I told you that since like 2011, there's no shot that you believe what I'm saying. Do you know and what so, I would have said, Mac? I would have said, oh, wow, okay. five games got postponed due to COVID? Right. Wow, exactly. I'm shocked. Exactly. I mean, th- this, this is not going to happen again. I, I just have to think that the coaching staff won't allow it because, number one, the drops. Like, Grisham is going to go crazy with these guys in the winter and spring. I mean, th- there's going to be such an attention to detail of just making sure that we're going to do our part. Now, that room might not do theirs, but we're going to do ours. If we can touch the ball, if it gets on our fingertips, we're coming down with it. I think there's going to be a huge emphasis with that. And then, honestly, I hate to say it, but guys moving on is probably a good thing. I mean, the fact that you can have Bo and Dakari Collins be your main guys, and if, I mean, in Gata, I mean, Grace, we've heard about how this is the greatest wide receiver we've ever seen for like three years, and it's just never come to fruition. There were certainly flashes this year. But it's almost like this next wave just needs to come in and, and just kind of take over and, and take the reins because there's such a stigma of who's there now or who was there now. And and so I, I think that's going to have a lot of relief. Do you, do you kind of feel that or are you saying I'm crazy? What do you think there? No, I agree with that. I think some new faces, some some fresh blood in this room will go a long way. And I think that you look like you said, I mean, Ngata is a guy that okay, his, his freshman year, you'd think, okay, you know, he's a freshman. Okay. Sophomore year, he gets hurt. Like, eh, okay, whatever. And, and like, Dabo keeps saying it and keeps saying it and keeps saying it. And I think what is so staggering to me is that, and you guys probably remember this, at the beginning of the season, Dabo was very adamant. He was like, I think that, he, like, he was joking around about either with us or with Christian, like, take a picture for posterity. Take a picture of this group. Y'all are going to look up in six or seven years, and they're going to be all over the league. And, and maybe they are. Um, but it was just, just the. I think that was what jumped out to me the most was that this was this was not a group like some position groups on Clemson's team. Like you kind of know what you're, you know, it's going to be more of a project. This was not one of those groups. Like the wide receiver unit was supposed to be one of the strengths of their team. So I'm with you, Mac. I think some some fresh faces could go a long way. Yeah, and, and I'm with. I mean, I was with Dabo. I, I remember vividly talking preseason about this wide receiver group might be one of the best that Clemson's ever had. And it just never translated. It never got to the field. And I'm sure he saw it all the time in practice. And and it's almost that point. And Kelly, you'll remember this. When I went and saw Clemson that first, uh, you know, in fall, and it was like, is the defense that good that Clemson cannot move the ball? Or is the offense also really bad? And I think now, looking back, it was a combination of both. But it was just shocking to to really see that. So anyway, it's going to be interesting to see how moving forward, what does that room look like? What does the offense look like? Because uh, I don't think there's any question it has to show improvement. Let's switch sides of the ball. Let, let's look at the defense because there is a ton of change in the coaching world there. Venables uh, to, to OU taking a couple of guys, some guys getting promoted, uh, so, some guys uh, coming from Auburn, Nick Eason. I think that's going to be fantastic. But you know, just from the the interaction that you have already had with Wes Goodwin, new defensive coordinator for Clemson, what what are your expectations? I mean, g- give us a little snapshot of your time that you've spent with Wes. Yeah, so Wes, and he's the first he's the first one to say this. Like 
He he is not Brent Venables. Like he's he's going to be himself. And it was I will say it was a little jarring for me to after five years of covering Brent Venables to look up during the Cheese Bowl and see Clemson's defensive coordinator like not being yanked back or not almost about to get flagged because he's you know going bizarre. Like Wes looked very steady to me. Um, but I think every I I feel like everything that I needed to know about. Wes and I mean we'll we'll learn more about him obviously as a play caller and scheme and and all that kind of stuff but I felt like we learned everything we needed to know about him in terms of how this team views him with that post game uh, hoisting into the air crowd surfing esque moment where Wes Goodwin and Brandon Street are on opposite sides of the room and Xavier Thomas is tweeting it out and it just felt like right then um, you could see how animated this team was for this. For this guy that we don't know very well, but they clearly know very intimately and, and clearly very much respect. So I don't know. I mean, I think it's going to be a really I, – I put in my predictions, I think, last week that I thought he would field a top 20 defense. I, I think he's he's got the players and just everything that you you hear about him in terms of play recognition and passing it along to Venables. It makes you I – w- I so wish I could go back in hindsight now and be like, did was that Wes? Was this – did he right. recognize this? Like. I wish I I wish I could have seen this unfold more, had a crystal ball, if you will. But I don't. I mean, I I think Dabo too. He what it, what was his line? He said like, no one has more on the line than I do. Like no one has sure. more at stake than I do. So yeah. he. So I don't know. I think I think it's. I'm impressed so far, though. I'll say that. Grace, I'm with you on that, though. I wish we could look back. I don't even know who Wes Goodwin was. Mac did. <laughs> I remember I when I told Mac I'm hearing this. I've seen this reported, and Mac's like, oh. Dude's a genius. But I didn't even know he existed. Like, I wish that we would have known so that we could keep an eye out for him on the sideline. But I don't know. Part of me thinks Dabo kept him hidden for a reason. He was. Listen, he was up in the press box in his own corner, and he's just looking. And he's figuring out, okay, what is happening? How can I help this this team? Mac, part of it is if you you tip off the broadcast crew, if you say, this guy is Brent Venable's right-hand man, and he's doing all this. We're talking about it. (laughs) <laughs> Someone's we're talking about it. Someone's going to offer him a job. Sure. And I know he had some job offers, but I think keeping him hidden was all a part of Dabo's master plan, which is which is so <laughs> crazy to think about, Grace. But let's talk about the offense. And look, Brandon Streeter was not hidden. And uh, this year, the offense sputtered at times. A lot of times uh, fans were complaining about a lack of creativity. We talked with Darian Rincher last week. He said, guys, it was it was a lack of execution. Like, that's what it was. And And the players take responsibility. So. Now that Brandon Streeter is taking over, I've heard him mention the word tempo a lot. What do you think will look different, Grace, in this offense next year? I think it will be that, Kelly, tempo. That seems to be kind of the buzzword, if you will. Um, And I think that it's important. I've also had to remember and and jot down in my notes that this is a guy who has called plays before. And so while I think the Clemson offense will stay the Clemson offense, I don't think it's one of those situations where – he, I don't, how do I word this? I don't think he has to cling to a, a certain things because it's comfortable. I think he's, granted, he doesn't have experience doing it at the Power 5 level, but he's called plays before. But yeah, I think tempo will be a big one. Um, I, I think that, I, 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 don't, I don't know. I mean, I think so much of it just depends on what happens with DJ, you know? And, and yeah. like, like Rincher was saying, a lot of it came down to execution and Dabo said many times we can't really open up the playbook if we can't execute certain things. And so I don't want to say Brandon Streeter's entire style is going to be dependent on what happens at the quarterback position, but I, I do kind of be- believe that to a certain extent. I mean, I just, 
it just, I think so much of it rides on, is it DJ, is it Cade, is DJ better? Can you put more on his plate? You know, how, how creative can you get? I agree. I think that that was, you know, really kind of a, a fascinating point in the season. It was probably, you know, around that time that we were speaking of earlier, Clemson's two and two and, you know, next two games offensively just looks terrible. And that's all I see on Twitter is run different plays, run more motions, run more this and that. And I'm just staring at it like, listen, y'all, Clemson can't run inside zone correctly. What makes you think that they're going to be able to run anything exotic or anything crazy? It, it was just, it was so interesting to see. Um, and then of course they, they kind of got it together moving, you know, in the right direction. I, I think if, if DJ's the guy, I think this Clemson team has to look like what it did the last six games of the year. If it's not, then I think you can open things up. It looks a little differently, maybe more of what Clemson fans are, are really kind of used to there. Grace, if, if there was a player this season that surprised you, and maybe it's a couple, uh, who would that be, whether statistically, leadership-wise, uh, just things that you saw on or off the field? Who, who surprised you this year for Clemson? Ooh, that's a really good question. Offensively or defensively? Whatever comes to mind first. You can do both or just one. I thought Davis Allen had a really good year. I think that was one of the players that – it and granted, I know that the tight end wasn't involved a, a ton, and a lot of people were, you know, what happened in the middle of the field? But I think that was one of those situations that I think Davis was one of those players that when Dabo and Tony Elliott raved about him, it it translated, and you could kind of you could kind of see it. So I'm curious, I, and I and I think that he'll be a good option for DJ in, in 2022. If it just as okay, if the receivers can't get it done, let's go throw to Davis Allen. Um, I wouldn't say I was su- surprised by Shipley, but I was. It, I, I maybe impressed is the better word that he was as consistently good as he was as a true freshman, especially with the comparisons with Travis and just the transition that room was, was going through. Um, and then I thought defensively um, we finally, I, I thought Mario Goodrich was incredible and, and, and we had, he's, he's just been injured. I think snake bit was the word Venables used a couple spring or a couple summers ago he just finally put it all together, and I thought that was that was cool to see. So I don't I don't know if that answers your question, but those are the those are the three that jump out. No, that definitely does, and we know uh, Mario Goodrich, as Rencher called him, Rio, made some <laughs> money during yeah, the Cheez It Bowl. So that's right. he's and he's going to be at the Senior Bowl. Yes, he did. And Grace, I agree with Shipley. Like with all the hype that you heard about Shipley, I still think mm-hmm. the way he was able to, especially late, like I think about the South Carolina game. To carry this team, he really did in many respects. So he surprised me. Mm-hmm. I think Andrew Makuba is another one as a true freshman with how much he was able to Ooh, play. Yeah, that's a good one. He was very impressive. So yeah, there are quite a few good ones in there. Um, let's talk big picture, Grace, because you cover college football as a whole, but also Clemson. So you're you're very in tune with kind of where this sport is going. We've got NIL, we've got transfer portal, we've got opt outs, which Clemson didn't have any, but. What do you see in terms of what Dabo is going to do in, in terms of modernizing? Because it feels like every program is going to have to modernize a little bit, whether you're embracing NIL or you're embracing the portal or whatever. How does that look in Tigertown, in your opinion? I think the biggest, most um, impactful modernization, is that how you say that word? That was perfect. Um, Use that UNC that degree, like, girl. Come on. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> I don't even know that's a word. Um, but for Clemson specifically, I think it's the portal. Um, like Clemson, just the fact that Clemson went to the portal and made an offer to an offensive lineman 
last week or two weeks ago, whenever it was, was a huge deal because it's just so uh, it, it, unprecedented. It really is the right word in that regard. I mean, you just you look at Clemson and it's not, we, all, we all know Dabo's thoughts on the portal. We can see the numbers. We can see the transfers, et cetera, et cetera. And so while that might not seem like a massive deal around college football, like, oh, of course, the coaches are going to the portal. I think that's the biggest deal at Clemson. Dabo Sweeney went to the portal this offseason. I agree. Uh, I think that that's going to be something that when, when you just lose guys, and, and we know it's going to happen. It's going to happen at Alabama. It's going to happen at Georgia. It's going to happen at Ohio State, Clemson. When you stockpile so much talent and guys can't get on the field, now guys are going to leave. Before, it was, okay, i got to work. I've got to buy my time. i got to get better. You know, I have to do that. Now it's, oh, this isn't fair. I can go somewhere else and play right away. So it's going to be very interesting to see when you lose all that talent we, when you lose 18, 19, or excuse me, 19, 20, 22 year olds, you can't replace it with 18. You, you have to replace it with that caliber of man, not young man. And it's going to be interesting to see how does Clemson react? How does Clemson, you know, kind of do that? Okay, Grace, as we wrap up here, it is January 12th. What is Clemson going to finish the season at win total next season? Ooh, January 12th. Okay, let me think this through. Again, 15 and 0, 14 and 1. You know, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? Don't let Max weigh you. If you think it's 8 and 4, you can say it and, and people will crucify you on Twitter, but continue. <laughs> oh, man. I'm going to say regular season 10 and 2. I think a more experienced version of this team we just saw wins one of the, like, maybe wins that NC State game or. I think, yeah, I think a more experienced Clemson team pulls it out in double overtime against NC State. So I'm going to give them 10 and 2. I don't, I don't think they, and I wrote this in my predictions, um, I, I don't think they'll be in the playoff again. And again, I think that's just a testament to the way we view Clemson. Like, when people freak out, like, Clemson not in the playoff. I mean, to me, obviously, if you're a Clemson fan, that's not what you want. It's not good news. But the fact that that's something that college football freaks out about is such a huge testament right. to how good your team is. So. I don't, yeah. I don't necessarily think it's like panic at the disco situation because they're, they might need a couple years to go on another five-year, six-year college football playoff run. So I'll say 10-2, and two, and then I, I'll say 10-2 in the regular season, and I think I'll, they'll win their bowl game. So back-to-back down years for the Tigers. You heard it, you heard it here first, Grace Rayner. Um, I'm just kidding. I think it's going to be good. I think it's going to be interesting. I think it comes down to quarterback play. I really do, which is it's crazy to put all of that on one position. Uh, but that's that's the difference in the game, and that's yeah. why it's the hardest position in sports. That's why it's one of the highest paid when you get to the next mm-hmm. level eventually. Uh, there's a lot of responsibility. But, Grace, this was so much fun. Thank you for joining us, helping us break down the Clemson Tigers. Oh, y'all are the best. I'm so honored I got to be on this podcast. I feel like, I feel like a celebrity. I'm going to be so – my dad's going to think I'm so much cooler. Thanks again to Grace Rayner for joining us. That was a lot of fun talking about Clemson. Mac, I know we will continue to talk a lot about Clemson as we get through the offseason and head into next year. And I, I'm curious at the end when she said, I'm thinking 10 and 2 next year for the Tigers and not a playoff. I think a lot of that depends on quarterback. But if Clemson does, does go 10 and 2, makes me feel like perhaps some people may be picking NC State to win the Atlantic. Well, Ooh. we're going to talk so much about that, but <laughs> a lot of it depends on QB. And maybe this is a good thing for Clemson. We've seen it with North Carolina where when they have expectations, they they just seem to tank. 
to have a to have a off season where you have a little less expectation that may be good for Clemson in the long run. It's going to be really interesting to see. Number one, what are people's thoughts on Clemson? Number two, what does Clemson look like in the spring? Now it is kind of hard, and you know you're, you're not going against another opponent. You're going against yourself. Clemson's going to have another unbelievable defense, probably the best defensive line in the country with those guys get healthy and, and are all playing. So it's going to be interesting, and it's going to be really tough, not only for DJ, but for a young freshman quarterback coming in, that that's what he sees. But as we've heard from you know FSU back in the day, Miami back in the day, these great teams, Alabama now, the Clemsons of, of uh, recent history, Monday through Friday should be tougher than Saturday. And that's exactly what they're going to see. They're going to see you know, guys that they will not all year long until you get to a playoff, until you get to a championship because of the quality of athlete, the level of skill, things of that nature. I think that's really going to help this team this spring. So it's going to be fascinating to see uh, what changes are made, what competition is bred at all positions, not just quarterback, but that's certainly KG is going to be the talk of uh, talk of the town. And Mac, I, I want to share this with our listeners because I think I can now, now that we're far enough removed. Mac went to practice before the Clemson Georgia game and of course he couldn't you know this is a former player situation so he couldn't just tweet out exactly what he saw but I remember you saying the defense is ridiculous I'm a little concerned O-line wise and DJ wise so we'll see but I also remember you saying that Shipley kid is for real and all of that came to fruition. I mean, your analysis, Mac, when you went and saw practice was was ex- exactly on point. Listen, when, when you get to see it, and from all schools, not just Clemson, I mean, we, we were pretty accurate with, with the things that we saw in uh, the practices when we did that little fall football tour. And you know, that, that's what's so interesting is when you don't do that, everything that you kind of make up in your mind preseason is what you've read, what you saw from maybe a spring game or a bowl game kind of going into it. But when you can go and you can see fall practice, fall camp, you've got a pretty good idea of what that team is going to look like. So it's going to be fun to to just see how does this team evolve? How do they continue to get better? Because I think what everybody needs to understand is that Clemson isn't going anywhere. They're going to figure it out. They're going to get right. And it's uh, it's just going to be a matter of how and when. But guys, that's it. Thank you for listening. Another great episode of Gramlick and MacLean brought to you by our friends over at Duke's Mayo. If you haven't already, go over to iTunes, follow our podcast, drop us a little five-star rating, or write us a review. We would always appreciate that. But until next time, we'll see y'all.